0: Feel a little bit like a, a broken record because I keep talking about all the astounding challenges that we're facing, the complexities that have really come into our lives as a society and as individuals. Um, think with me again about some of the things that uh, that we're looking at right now. We've got fires, right? I was telling somebody I was in the Midwest this week, and I was saying we have to be careful because. You know, we have, uh, when we think about worshiping inside, we have the pandemic. And if we go outside, we have to worry about the fires and the smoke. So you can't be inside or outside. Uh, We have fires. We have earthquakes, like in in Haiti that's happened. We have hurricanes on the other side. We wish we had their rain. They wish they had, you know, our dryness. Um, And then we've got, you know, vaccination questions and mask questions. And those in the recent weeks have filtered into school life and work life and we're trying to sort all of that out um and then we've got afghanistan um and then abortion has come really back onto the table as a conversation for us this last week um and in the midst of all of this that we're trying to make sense of um we're we're sort of in this phase of deconstructing all of the institutions that we have known and trusted in over the last, what, 20 years or so. I mean, this has really been, as I've been looking and thinking, reflecting on 9-11 and the 20th anniversary of 9-11, thinking about um, all that's happened, you know, it really settles in with you You realize how much deconstruction we've been doing, reflecting, and that's really come into the church as well. And, and some of this is healthy. It's good to ask hard questions of the institutions of our society. Um, And to to really think through, you know, what have we done poorly? What have we done well? Um, So all of this is happening right now. And the reason I want to bring it up again uh, is because I think that there is a measure of vulnerability that comes with a season like this. And it's really important for us to have our eyes open to what is actually happening right now so that we can act and live in a way to meet the challenges as best that we can. That's that's really my pastoral concern for this season is that our own weaknesses and our own sins and then the work of the enemy, we believe that there's an enemy in this world, uh, a, a force of darkness, an evil one who, who hates God and then hates the people who bear the image of God, all human beings, uh, and so uh, loves to exploit moments of chaos to do his destructive work. And so this is, this is the kind of season I want us to, to really have our eyes open so that we can move through it in the best possible way. You know, the, the metaphor of the frog in the kettle. It's like the frogs in the kettle, and because they're cold-blooded, they can't tell that the water gets warmer and warmer, and the environment around them is changing. We're a little bit like that right now, the frog in the kettle. And so we need to have our eyes open to perceive. And then what we're going to talk about today is how we meet that challenge. Now, it's really important for us as Christians to act when things fall apart, when the world gets crazy. Really important for us to act when the world falls apart, right? We, we need to support those who are uh, in the midst of disasters. And we've had ways to do that. We we published a way that our group of churches is is doing that um, with respect to Haiti recently, and there are other opportunities that we have to do that. Um, we need to fight for what is right. That's what that's what Christians do. We fight for what is right. We need to. And, and sometimes, you know, we've talked about this before when we did a sermon series on politics. Sometimes we don't even agree what's right. But we still need to, in good conscience, pursue, you know, moving and acting in this world in ways that, that we're doing our best to understand, bring about transformation and change. We need to care for those who are in need. We need to, we need to reach out to the marginalized. We need to incorporate the marginalized. We need to, we need to um, think through how we follow in the, in the pathway of Jesus to love the least. Um, There's so much that as Christians we can do to act. And of course, we talked about this last week. This is the most important thing. We can invite people into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But if we don't go about that work in a way that is grounded and very much focused on what the scriptures teach about who God is, and... That has a measure of health associated with it, we're not going to last very long in that work, in the work of doing good, right? Because the work of doing always f- flows from our being. And the way that we uh, focus on our being is by being connected to God. Jesus has a wonderful way of talking about this connection. To God, And I want to read, he's got lots of different ways, but this, this metaphor of the vine and the branch is very powerful. John 15, 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, so there are lots of things for us to do, but the starting place is to be connected to God to abide in the vine. And as we're talking about rebuilding this series that we're in, there's four foundations that we're looking at. This is the third one today. And this foundation of our church, we've already looked at worship. We've looked at mission last week. And today, we're going to look at the foundation we call discipleship. Now, we're going to get into definitions of discipleship and explanations of discipleship. But my main goal is to invite you, in the midst of all that's going on, to fully engage the process of spiritual growth as directed by Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what I really want you to walk out of here with today, is this commitment to engage the process of spiritual growth. If you do, here here will be some of the benefits. You will answer the command of Jesus on your life. It was a command that he gave us to, 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 to learn, to be a disciple, and to learn how to obey everything he has taught. You will be prepared to endure the challenges of the current season. You will discover a deeper intimacy with the Lord. Oh, that one is particularly sweet. Um, in the midst of difficulties, as we lean into God, um, because the difficulties cause us to look at God in new and fresh ways, we, we discover this greater intimacy with the Lord. Things about God that we didn't know were true become suddenly, uh, like the light bulb goes off, clear to us. So we get to know God more. You'll have a positive impact on the lives of others. You will glorify God, and you will be blessed. So if those things sound appealing to you, they do to me, let's dive in and reflect a little bit this morning on what does it mean to be a disciple. I want to talk about discipleship clarity, discipleship discipleship commitment, and the discipleship community. In the time that we have. So let's start off with clarity. Of all the things that a person says. Don't we usually say that the last thing they say. Is the most important. Right? And Jesus like said a lot of really good things. Right? Nobody ever thought of a thing that Jesus should have said. So when we come to Jesus last words. Which these are. That Xiao Ling read for us. These are his last words. To his disciples then we ought to make sure we give them an extra special weight. The greatest speaker of all time, these are his last words. This is why we want to spend four weeks on them. As Pastor Paul discussed last week, the main command in the passage that we're looking at here in Matthew 28 is make disciples. And there are three participles. Those are just I-N-G words uh, that support that main command. So going, baptizing, and teaching And they also have uh, imperative force. You should go do them coming off of the command to make disciples. So going uh, simply means that the work of making disciples happens on the way. As we go. As we go about life. And some of us may be called to go far away. but, But we're all going every day. Um, to work. We're all going through our neighborhood. We're all going to see the people that we share our hobbies with, our families. We're going. And, And that's what Jesus is saying is that we make disciples as we go. Now, I think technology is providing some interesting opportunities for us. And in our group, we have this group called Sent in Grace. We meet every Thursday. Um, and it's just 45-minute time of sharing stories of going and, and, and how you know living on mission. And in that, there's been some really neat things that have come up. Uh, about how people are able to go because technology is changing. It's sort of changing the map of our relationships, the way we network with one another. So you may live here in the Bay Area, but you may have people that are close to you who are living across the world. Maybe they're coworkers and you see them on a regular basis. And so going for you means thinking about those relationships in ways that are are charged with this command to make disciples. Um, Others of us may find that on social media, there's a particular opening that you might have to be able to make disciples, to be able to share the gospel. And you might even intentionally pursue those avenues in social media. We had somebody in our home group recently who shared that a friend living in Japan was curious about Christianity and wanted to go to a church and because things were online, this friend living in the Bay Area was able to accompany that friend to church in Japan. You see the kind of creativity that technology opens up for what it means to really go right now? So I just, I'm, not gonna, I'm not preaching about going today, but I wanted to, you to keep your antenna up for the creative ways that God is inviting you to go. So going is the one, baptizing, Pastor Paul talked about that last week. And so our real focus is on these two words, the connection of disciple and teaching. That's what we're looking at today in Matthew 28. These words had a particular meaning in Jesus' day. They had a particular meaning in Jesus' day, wrapped in the world of the rabbi, which Jesus was referred to as a rabbi, right? And so the rabbi and the disciple conversation. So a rabbi was an itinerant, itinerant teacher. So they went around um, and they ministered in, primarily in, in two ways. Um, the rabbi would go and lecture in a large group setting. And so there would be sort of a, a teaching moment, a lecture kind of moment. And then he would spend time with what were called disciples. Now the word disciple just means a uh, learner, a disciple is just simply a learner. So don't be, so don't be, uh, you know, thrown off by that that particular term. It just means to be a learner, a learner of Jesus in this case. Um, and so those learners, the disciples, would be present for the lecture time, uh, but the the teaching time. But then they would also be present with the rabbi. Uh, for the rest of the time, like all of life, they did life together as they traveled around and they, they had meals together. Um, they encountered problems together. They walked on the road together, right? They, they got sick together. All the things that you do in life, they would do together. The disciple with the rabbi. Um, as they did life together, the rabbi would teach them to live out all that he commanded, so this language is steeped in this, this picture, and it's very different from what we often experience. When we think of teaching, we often think of a, a more sterile kind of classroom setting where what is really um aimed for is the passing on of knowledge right not necessarily wisdom or learning how to practice things now I know I'm going to some of you teaching me No, that's what I do I know but, but, but you know especially in the university setting um, we think of the passing on and in western culture we think of the passing on of, of knowledge almost exclusively when we think about teaching but what, what Jesus has in mind when he says teaching is something much more robust it's an all of life kind of uh, aspect uh, to teaching. It's not merely head knowledge. And my guess is that if you have learned a particular hobby, you may have experienced this kind of teaching where you got next to somebody who was really good at it and then that person, um, you know, just sort of showed you the ropes and it was a a give and take. It was spending time together. And, And in the moment when you encountered problems or struggles, you would learn together. That's the kind of apprenticeship that this teaching uh, conjures up. So when Jesus talks of learning to obey everything is commanded, he has in mind this long and beautiful journey of doing life in his presence and uh, with his consistent input and direction as you're going, right? It's a beautiful picture of what it means to teach. Um, we all long for people to teach us in this way. To walk with us and to speak into our lives in those critical moments. To be familiar with with who we are. It's, It's not just somebody who would lecture to us, but somebody who would walk with us. And that's the picture that we have. You can't develop as a disciple without both the teaching component and the life-on-life life component. That's, that's an important truth that we see from the New Testament. You even see in the church, as we go through this deconstruction process, there will be those who emphasize one or the other. So some will say, oh, we just need to continue to have teaching from the pulpit, and that's all we need, and everything will be fine. And Others will say, you know, even go so far as to say, we don't need sermons anymore. We just need to be together in each other's homes. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you see both of those were a critical part of what it meant to be a disciple and to grow. And so, you know, as we'll get into, we're going to structure our church in that way. Now, there's one other interesting feature about the rabbi-disciple relationship that I just love in studying this. You know, the rabbis would compete for the best disciples and the disciples would compete to get the best rabbi. So it's like this competitive thing to figure out if you could get with the best rabbi and if you were a rabbi, if you could get the best disciples. And what's so interesting about Jesus is it seems, as we read through the New Testament, he doesn't seem to play that game at all. He goes out and he finds this motley crew of guys who probably weren't even in the conversation about becoming rabbis, or becoming, you know, the disciples of the well-known rabbis. They're, they're sort of randoms, and, 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 and they're a, an oddball mixture. You know, you've got, within the disciples of Jesus, a guy who's trying to overthrow Rome, and a guy who works for Rome. And they're together in the same community. You have some fishermen who obviously are not great at fishing because Jesus walks up and says, cast your nets on the other side. And then they do, and they find a lot of fish. They say, we haven't found any fish. You've got this number one guy. He's the, the main guy who immediately, when Jesus is arrested, denies him three times. And then, of course, you've got Judas who betrays Jesus. And, and this brings us to a key point about who gets to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, sitting here this morning, you, you might be, I mean, where we live, you might be the smartest and the best and the brightest, right? But guess what? That doesn't give you anything. No leg up when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. Or you might be sitting here this morning feeling like I'm definitely not the smartest, the bright, brightest, and the best. And guess what? That makes you no less potentially a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what's so interesting about this, this is really a statement about who Jesus is. He's so awesome and so incredible that he doesn't need the best and the brightest to be his disciples. He can work with any of us who are broken and screwed up and messed up and incapable and ungifted and still accomplish his goals. That's how awesome Jesus is. So the invitation is wide open to every single one of us, which really leads to the second point, which is discipleship commitment. So hopefully you have a a little bit more clear sense of what it means to be a disciple. It means, it means learning the teaching, but then also doing life with your rabbi who is Jesus. Um, But there's a response side to it. Part of what we're doing today is we're rebuilding, you know, as we come back together and we think about a fresh season, hopefully, of ministry. And I know we're back and forth on the pandemic and we're going to continue to navigate things. But we really want to think about recommitting to those aspects of our church that are most core and foundational. So we're talking about worship, talking about mission. Today we're talking about discipleship. Next week we'll talk about serving All from the Great Commission. Um, And so uh, today is an invitation to recommit yourself to discipleship. To a life of learning how to obey, obey all that Jesus has commanded. When we do that, when we, this, what, this is what this means. We learn to think about God in a way that Jesus teaches us to think about God. We learn to think about people in a way that Jesus teaches us to think about people. We learn to think about our purpose in life in a way that Jesus teaches us. And we learn to put all those wonderful thoughts into practice. So it's not just head knowledge, but over the course of time, it moves down to our heart's as we go through the whoop and wharf of life and community speaks in and we struggle and we pray together, um, all of that gets, gets moved into our hearts. We actually, it becomes practical and daily, these things that we're learning. And we, then we learn how to help others walk along that same path with Jesus. This is what Jesus is inviting us into, is that kind of a life shaped by those rhythms. And it's a life of transformation. And it's often difficult often difficult because change is not easy i was just talking to somebody about this that that really uh, what oftentimes needs to happen is that you know things have to be shaken in our lives in order for us really get to get to the place where we're willing to to be transformed to allow Jesus to do the work in us that he wants to do. One of my, you know, one of the great preachers of all time, Charles Spurgeon, says, Everything I learned in times of ease, I could put in a thimble. You know, the little thing you put on your finger. Right. In other words, if you're going to learn and grow, you know, probably it's going to be challenging. But it's going to be good. That's also the message. Just listen to where the end game is. This Ezekiel tells us where all of this, this growth and transformation and learning and being taught and teaching where it's all leading. Ezekiel 36, 25. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Or listen to these words of Jesus, Matthew 13, 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's... That's kind of where we're headed in this whole process of growth and development. Every scribe who's been trained, a scribe was was just sort of like a type of rabbi who was focused on the the writing and the recording of things. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, don't don't you want that to be true of you? You're the kind of person who brings out treasure. Because you've been on this journey with your rabbi, Jesus. And he's helped you not only to understand in your head, but to live practically in the ways that he commands. So maybe the most important thing we do this morning is to ask a very important question. Are you a disciple? That means, are you a learner? Are you a learner of Jesus? That is the key question. And notice, this is one of the things I love to think about, is that this isn't, this isn't a school that you ever graduate from. So if you're sitting here this morning and you think, well, I, yeah, I kind of did that discipleship thing. Now I'm just cruising. Uh-uh. Because not only in this life do you do you continue to learn and grow, but for all eternity, God is so awesome and so amazing and so big that you will be learning. Hey, this really, I didn't know how to get my head around this. You will be learning new and wonderful and glorious things about God and what he's done and what he's created for all of eternity. So those moments of serendipity where you're reading something or somebody says something or you're listening to something and your just mind sort of explodes and you're like, oh this is so cool, I didn't thought about it that way. You have all eternity To look forward to, filled with moments like that of learning and growing and seeing and having the light bulb go off as you come to know God more and more and more. So, we never graduate from this school. One of my, this professor who retired at our seminary, he was like in his 80s, and somebody said, What are you learning? And he said, oh, I'm just learning how much I need God. He's like 83 new 14 languages and everything. And I just thought, yes, I want to be 83 and like that, still learning. I want to be 4003 in heaven and still learning, right, about God. That's That's the invitation that God has made to us. And so are you committed to being a learner? Are you committed to being a learner, to doing life daily and practically with Jesus? And we're talking about how to do that right now. Are you committed to follow after Jesus, even when the process of change is uncomfortable? And this preaches to me, these last months and years have been uncomfortable in many ways for me. And I've had to ask myself this question, am I committed to the process of being transformed because these hard things are what it's, what's needed to change me. Am I committed even when it gets challenging and difficult? You may be feeling that this morning. You're, you're feeling this is so hard and you want to walk away. And there've been, you know, that's what we're seeing. This is exactly what we're seeing in the church in the United States and around in the West. People are discovering for the first time how hard things can be. And there's an element of walking away. And we don't want that. We don't, you don't want to do that. You want to walk towards God in the midst of this time. You want to, you, want to, you know, hang out with Jesus more during this time. So that he can, he can help you through it. So what does that look like? What does it look like to follow Jesus in this way? And that's where we get to the, the last point, which is discipleship community. The commands in the passage at the end of the book of Matthew that Jesus gives to us are plural. We don't have a way to say this eloquently in English, but it really says, go, y'all. Go, y'all. And, you know, our Western individualistic mindset, we read, go, just you, just me. We think of ourselves in isolation. But Jesus is saying, go, you all go together. And, and if you look at the history of the way that Jesus worked the disciples, he always sent them out in twos and they, they did everything in community. It was very communal. And then think about this. If, okay, so, so given that discipleship is, is learning, you know, being taught, but also spending time with Jesus, now connect that to the fact that the New Testament calls the church the body of Christ, So you're supposed to spend time with Jesus. That's how you learn and grow. You listen to his words, and then you spend time with them. And and the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. So if you want to hang out with Christ, where do you go? You go to the community of the church. And I don't mean just sitting here on Sunday morning. I mean, you know, all the things we're talking about, home group, you know, you, you be with the body of Christ. And this is particularly uh, poignant and important for us because we live in a time that's very different than the time of Jesus, right? Um, I've traveled in some places in the world where it, it felt actually like a village in the way, a village life in the way that Jesus would have experienced it and would have, would have lived it. And there's a small group of people. You're crammed into small houses. Everybody's together all the time. You know, you're walking on the same roads. You're walking, and there's maybe no cell phone coverage. And so when you're walking, you don't have headphones in. And so you're passing people or walking with people. And then it's a small group of people that you're with all the time. So there's, there's way more opportunity for community and relationship. Whereas we live in these Gigant, these large houses. I mean, we don't think that they're large because we're in the Bay Area where it's really expensive and they're all small. But even so, they're much larger than in Jesus' day, right? And we're separated by rooms. And then when we do travel, we don't go on roads that we walk next to people. We go in cars. And if you've had tr- tried to have a conversation with the, somebody in the car next to you on the freeway, you know how hard that is. Well, sometimes people do with certain gestures and language. But, you know... That's not the kind of conversation that we're talking about as we're, as we're talking about, you know, as we go here. And I'm even, you know, I was on a plane this week. And it's frustrating to me that nowadays when you get on a plane, everybody has headphones in. It used to be one of those rare opportunities where you're stuck with somebody you don't know. And you could have an interesting conversation. And and that's going too because people have headphones in uh, on the planes all the time. And so we, you know, and we just don't. And then, oh, this is the other thing. When we have these different communities it's not one village where we're all together we have these different communities of people so like you have your church people that you hang out with that you may only see a little bit and then you have your work people that you hang out with and then you have your neighborhood people that you hang out with and then you have your family people that you hang out with. there may be almost no overlap between those communities of people so it's a complete so we have to be very intentional very intentional about having the kind of community That was present in the New Testament. And that discipleship is dependent upon. See? Discipleship is dependent upon this kind of community. And we have to be very very intentional about having it. Um, It takes a whole nother level. So we've tried to structure the church, our community, in a way that reflects how the rabbi and the disciple would teach and learn together. So there are teaching times just like... You know, was the case with the itinerant rabbi and Jesus, you see, in his teaching times. Um, there were teaching times, um, Sunday morning, gospel academy, special events. You know, we share, hopefully, very solid and grounded and biblical resources with one another. Those are ways that, that we, we, we teach. Um, and then there's life on lifetime, just like was the case with the itinerant rabbi. Um, and the primary hub for that in this community, uh, the life on life relationship is the home group. And for home group, um, you know, relationships grow, uh, you know, as there's more casual interactions. We do life together. That's, that's where that kind of thing happens. And then we reinforce it on Sunday when we're together. And then if it's going well, people in our home group start hanging out, you know, uh, off, out of home group time. Or texting each other and saying, I'm about to go into a really stressful presentation. Could you all pray for me? So now you're not alone in doing life. We, in our home group, we have this wonderful text thread. And I'm so encouraged to see people you know, sharing needs on there. This week, our leader is encouraging us you know, out of last week's sermon um, to be living on mission. Um, there's a whole dynamic of community that can, can develop out of home groups. So it's not just a meeting. This is the thing about home group. It's, home group is not pri- primarily a meeting. Home group is a community that happens to meet at a certain time, but, but seeks to do life together. Okay? So it's incredible. And this is the body of Christ. This is how we get that other portion that's so essential to discipleship. And in order to do that, there's some mindsets that we have, to have. I'm going to finish with this really quickly. Just a couple of statements, a few statements here, for you to really try to absorb. I want you to know, being disciples means making disciples. Being, so when you're in that home group setting, you can't just be a receiver all the time. You also have to give. Um, you, you, are you understanding this? You can't just be a disciple without thinking about making disciples. This is where the Western American church has really gone wrong so much of the time. I love how one person who preached many years ago, um, one of my mentors said, we all have to have a hand forward and a hand back. We all have to have a hand forward and a hand back. Somebody that's pulling you along because they're further along, and somebody that you're pulling along because you happen to be maybe further along than them. And so think about that dynamic. And if you've been somebody who's just been sort of cruising along and saying, well, I'm just going to receive because I, you know, I know how this works. Like, oh, I can't give anything. I don't know anything. I haven't memorized the Bible yet. I mean, I'm close, but like, so I can't serve anybody. I can't, you know, I messed up four years ago. And and so like, and I, you know, so I'm just not really useful or helpful. We got to kill that because guess what? We're all a mess. We're all a mess. So we got to step into the process of discipling people, even as a mess. Because it's not about you and how awesome you are. It's about how awesome Jesus is. Right? So we got to step into that, um, into the mess of it. Um, everyone is a potential disciple. Think about your map of relationships and all over the place. Super important. Intimacy takes intentionality. So get into a home group. That's what we're talking about today. And then intimacy takes courage. When you're in that home group, open your heart. Share what's really going on in your life. Be bold. Be brave. And let God work that. If you, go, if you just go sit on the couch and don't ever say anything, don't be surprised if the impact is diminished. Right? Right? you got to share it out there. So, again, I sound like a broken record. I've said this so many times. I love the home group that we're blessed to be a part of right now. And we were out of it for a little while for certain reasons of ministry and life. And I'm just so encouraged by being present with it. And I hope and pray that we're going to get these home groups that we have, you know, just continuing to really flourish. And maybe we need to start some new ones. So talk to John about that if that's what the Lord's calling you to. All right.